You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. Welcome to Washington Post Live. I'm David Ignatius, a columnist at the Post. Russia now has an estimated 150,000 troops at the Ukrainian border, according to the latest Washington Post reporting. And despite talk of a diplomatic track, military action could come at any moment, as President Biden said this morning. My guest today is Ambassador William Taylor, who served as ambassador to Ukraine from 2006 to 2009, and later as charge d'affaires there in 2019. He's currently Vice President for Russia and Europe at the U.S. Institute of Peace, and he's one of the wisest, coolest heads I know on this hot crisis. Welcome, Ambassador Taylor. David, thank you. It's great to be here. Very kind. So, Mr. Ambassador, I appreciate your sense of this uh, confrontation right now, this morning. President Biden said several hours ago that he thought the threat level was very high. And to quote him, they, the Russians, have moved more troops in, number one. Number two, we have reason to believe they are engaged in a false flag operation as an excuse to go in. Every indication we have is that they're prepared to go into Ukraine, attack Ukraine. What's your assessment as of right now about the likelihood of a Russian attack? David, I think you're right. I think President Biden put it well. That is, they are ready. The Russians have done everything to prepare for an invasion. I imagine that President Putin told his generals, told Defense Minister Shoigu, do everything, put everything in place, do these false flags, move the medical facilities up, move the aircraft into position, move these ships around from the various locations toward the Black Sea, toward the sea as as off. Do all of those things. Place your special forces uh, uh, inside of Ukraine. Do everything Putin told them to be prepared to do this because, David, he wanted to intimidate President Zelensky of Ukraine or President Biden to give him concession, to fold, to to agree to things that uh, would compromise Ukraine's security or would compromise our security. That's what President Putin wanted. And he was ready to do everything and maybe including invading. He hasn't yet decided, I think. We haven't heard, no one will be in his mind. Our best intelligence, you are channeled to our best intelligence. I don't think we have figured out that he has made a decision yet to do that, to pull that trigger. He's got, the, the gun is clearly cocked and loaded his fingers on the trigger. He hasn't pulled it yet, which means that he can still be deterred. He can still be stared down, David. So President Zelensky and President Biden and indeed, backed up by NATO and, and Europe, are staring him down. They are not caving in. They're not blinking. President Putin might be blinking. Um, so that, that's where I think we are right now. That's a powerful set of uh, images, Mr. Ambassador. One more issue on today's agenda. The Russians expelled without any clear explanation the number two official in the U.S. Embassy in Moscow, 
That's the sort of thing that would normally draw a prompt retaliation from the United States, which would then step up the level of crisis, arguably would play to Putin's interest. What's your judgment about how we should respond to that uh, today or in, in the coming days? Should we do a, a, a tit for tat as we usually do? You know, I think we can't let President Putin dominate the discussion, the negotiation, the, the challenge, the crisis, the information flow. I couldn't make any sense of that, ex, the, of expelling the deputy chief of mission from, from Moscow. I can't understand. We have an ambassador there. Uh, ambassador Sullivan has been there. He's been there since the previous administration put him there and he stayed on. Um, uh, he was apparently receiving finally the response that uh, of, that the Russians have finally prepared and and told I think Lavrov told President Putin that he had been working on this ten page document to respond to the United States position of a uh, paper of a couple of couple of weeks ago um, and and Ambassador Sullivan was there getting that response finally uh, I don't think we've not seen it yet uh, don't know what it says it presumably has something to do with the negotiations. But for them to take that moment, that exact moment, to expel Besser Sullivan's deputy, it makes no sense. And then you, your question is the right one. What, what's our response? We need to be firm. Um, we'll probably respond in the way we always do, um, and that is to, to uh, send their deputy chief of mission home. Um, I don't know. I can't figure this out. This is an unusual, odd move. So uh, final uh, element today uh, is what might be called last minute diplomacy. Um, Secretary of State Antony Blinken is uh, said to be heading to the United Nations. What's your feeling, uh, Ambassador Taylor, about uh, whether we should um, seek to animate the diplomatic track that only Monday as you said, uh, Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov seemed to be saying was Russia's preferred path. Should should we act as if the diplomatic channel remains open and seek uh, consultations, discussions, uh, exchange of views? What do you think? Absolutely, David. I absolutely believe that until Putin pulls that trigger, and he might, he might do it now, uh, he might do it tomorrow, uh, he might do it next week, but until he does, we should do everything we can to do two things. One is to make it clear to him that the cost that he will pay for pulling that trigger are not worth it, are very, very high. We should make that case very strongly. And we should do what we need to do to, to bolster our support. I will give the Biden administration a lot of credit for that diplomatic activity that you just referred to that has been going on now for months. The NATO alliance is more unified than ever in my, I used to work at the NATO alliance, you know, I, I saw them, they're not, they weren't unified then like, like they are today. And it's, and it's due to an enormous effort. This, this diplomatic effort that the Biden administration has undertaken has been unprecedented in my in my experience. Others will have more experience than I on this, but um, it, the number of phone calls, number of meetings, the number of levels of uh, of diplomacy that have gone into this to to forge this alliance um, that Putin is facing. And again, I bet he's surprised um, at how firm 
the NATO alliance is and how how strong the Europeans are with the United States. He, I'm sure, didn't expect that. And others and others as well. So, yes, I think we should continue that uh, work. And it continues, continues at the UN where the Russians are about to violate again international law and the UN charter. He's about to commit war crimes, David. So this this is the right place to have that conversation. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, you know Ukraine well. You served there twice, uh, and you just visited there at the end of January for some meetings that I'll, I'll come back to in a moment. But let me just ask you to assess whether Ukraine is prepared for what could be a quite horrific Russian attack. What's your sense of the mood in Ukraine? And what's your sense of what, uh, if anything, the United States should be doing to give them additional military help now uh, in terms of weapons, not troops, uh, to, to help them deal with what could be a, an overwhelming assault? On the first part of your question, uh, the Ukrainians are as ready as they can be right now. Um, both their military, they could be a little more prepared military if they were to call up the reserves right now. That's the one thing that they've not yet done. But their, their active duty military, I've been in touch with the defense minister regularly. Um, he is very active um, and, and he's confident that they are as ready as they can be militarily um, for what's, what's about to come if it indeed comes. Um, that, that preparedness is, extends to the rest of the country. You, I was just there. Many people, a lot of your your organization, other news organizations have been reporting on the incredible training and preparations that these territorial defense forces are making. Um, I have good friends um, in in Ukraine, um, and they are telling me about their preparation. Uh, one one young man, that's he's kind of middle aged now. I met him when he was young. Uh, um, he was on the Maidan. Uh, uh, he was on the on the Independence Square um, for the, dig the Revolution of Dignity in 2014. He was a squad leader. He had men with him. He was well prepared, um, uh, forceful. Um, he's a civilian. Um, he was telling me uh, that he was buying his weapon that he's ready to use against Russians if they were to attack and invade and occupy. He was there at a gun shop and it was jammed. And it was jammed. There are people who are preparing. There are many people. There are 500,000 veterans. Then the defense minister makes this point. There are 500,000 Ukrainian veterans who have fought the Russians in the East over these eight years since the Russians first invaded Ukraine in 2014. These people are very motivated, very skilled, and they are ready. So it's a, it's a grim determination. They are going about their business. They hope it doesn't happen. They're ready if it does. David, you know that the Ukrainians have a have a have a have a tough history. You know, they've been under the Russian oppression, Soviet oppression, Tsarist oppression for for a long time. Um, they've they've experienced the Holodomor, this death by famine that Stalin killed four million Ukrainians. They experienced you know, the uh, Chernobyl. Um, uh, they have gone through very tough times. They want to be out from under Russia. And so they're prepared. They are prepared for what's to come. Oh, and David, sorry, you asked about, should we be doing more? Yes. 
yes, we should. Um, we should do as much arming. We should provide the 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 anti-tank weapons, the anti-aircraft weapons, uh, the other kinds of ammunition. We should be making as much effort as we can. And it's it's going in. I mean, the, we've seen now recently, in the past couple of weeks, the videos, the the, the shots taken at the Kiev air, airport, at the Borspiel airport, many of us know well, it's now getting plane load after plane load of weapons, ammunition, anti-tank weapons, from not just the United States, <clears throat> but also from other NATO allies. Uh, the Baltics, Baltic nations uh, are sending anti-aircraft weapons. Um, so we should be doing more of that in answer to your question, absolutely. Mr. Ambassador, I mentioned that you had uh, recently traveled to Ukraine. Uh, and as I've written that one purpose of your visit was to go see President Zelensky and to encourage him to seek more unity. Ukraine is, a, as you say, is a resolute country, but there's so many different competing political leaders, uh, business oligarchs. Uh, it's a country that is uh, sometimes democratic to a fault. Um, and you, uh, I'm told, urged President Zelensky to, to embrace unity. He said he wasn't ready to, to, to welcome the opposition yet. Do you still have that concern that you, that unity um, needs to be tighter in in Kiev? And do you think, with the Russians now moving ever closer to invasion, that there's going to be some move toward the unity that you, you that you urged on Zelensky? I do. In answer to your last question, I do think that it's it's going. We're going to see that unity. We are starting to see that unity. We had the day of unity yesterday. He had uh, uh, he had a, a demonstration across the country. Um, of uh, citizens, uh, Ukrainians out there, uh, all ages and all across the country, doesn't matter what language they speak, doesn't matter where they were in East or the West, uh, they were out there demonstrating, singing the national anthem, singing the national anthem. Hey, by the way, David, this is so interesting. The Ukrainians know every word of their, they know the second and third verses of their national anthem. This is a, this is a proud nation and they and they are unified the people are unified in particular against putin in particular against the russians so that's there you're exactly right several of us um uh went to uh kiev uh, uh two and a half weeks ago atlantic council organized this we had a good session with uh with uh, president Zelensky and other and before we saw president Zelensky, i asked several of the other political leaders some in opposition, um, if President Zelensky were to call a meeting of, of these political leaders, would they come? Um, and to the person, to the man and to the woman, there were both, uh, uh, they said, yes, they would. It's there, that unity is there. And that unity will be solidified as soon as Putin pulls that trigger. Um, as soon as he goes across um, and dispels any hope that many of us have, including a lot of Ukrainians, hope that there's still an off-ramp, still a way that he will back down, he will blink and go to negotiations. There's, there's still that hope. But if that hope is dashed, as soon as it's dashed, you will see the Ukrainian society, including political leaders, 
rallying behind President Zelensky. President Zelensky is the only president they have right now. Um, they may, in fact, is President Zelensky not long after we were there. I think the next day uh, he came out and had made some comments about unity. Um, uh, and he said, he said, uh, you know, he was speaking to the whole nation. He said, you know, you can hate the president uh, or you can hate the government, but you can't hate the country. Um, and the country is unified. And if the, if the Russians pull that trigger, if Putin pulls that trigger, they will unify, the opposition will unify. Zelensky, I'm convinced, will step up. He's been resolute so far, as I've said. He hasn't blinked. President, President Biden's been with him. And he will, he will demonstrate leadership, I am sure. So I, I want to come back to the core uh, issue of the diplomatic track to the extent it still exists. And that's Russia's demand that its security interests be recognized by a guarantee that Ukraine on its border will never become a member of NATO. And the United States and NATO quickly responded, uh, that's a non-starter. Uh, any country should be free to uh, apply to NATO. That, that's not a, a, an appropriate NATO decision. I'm, I'm wondering, given that again this morning, Russia said that if this demand is not addressed, it will seek uh, to resolve the problem through, again, they use this odd phrase, military technical means. I'm wondering, uh, Mr. Ambassador, if you see any way to speak to this Russian concern about their security without doing something that would be unacceptable to NATO, some way to finesse this. Uh, everybody I talk to says Ukraine isn't going to be in NATO anytime soon. Uh, is, is there any way to embrace that reality without making a compromise that we'd regret? regret? So, dude, I firmly believe that President Putin can achieve a lot of what he's after, what he says he needs, what he has demanded um, of NATO and the United States. He can achieve a lot of that through this negotiated path that, that we talked about, that you just mentioned. Um, you know, he, he slapped down on the table uh, uh, two draft treaties back in December um, and said, negotiate these, not negotiate, sign these right now. Um, and if you don't sign them right now, then I'm going to use exactly what you just said, this military technical deal. I'm going to, he didn't say this, but I'm going to invade. You know, I'm, I'm going to military technically fix this uh, problem if you don't sign. In those treaties, in those draft treaties that he's suggesting, he lists a bunch of, a bunch of concerns, many concerns that he's got about his own, about Russian security, concerns about Russia, many of whom, many of which he says, we've been ignoring. For years and years and years, he's been, he's, he says that he's been yelling at the United States and, and NATO and, and, the, and the Europeans uh, to take my security concerns seriously. Um, and he could say now, he's succeeded. He could say now that finally the Americans, NATO, are taking my concerns, my security concerns, seriously, and they have agreed, he can tell his Russian citizens, they've agreed to sit down with me and talk about these things. They never were willing to do that before. Now they are. I have succeeded. That's the story he could tell. Now, you, the, the, one, the question you ask is, in that negotiation, 
other ways to finesse, I think the word you use, finesse this issue of uh, Ukraine in NATO. Or the other way to think about this is NATO's open door. NATO in its original document in the Washington Treaty that founded NATO back in 1949 said that any any European nation that meets the standards has the right to apply. Democratic nation has is, is has the right to apply. That's in the stat. That's in the the treaty. That applies to Ukraine. By the way, it, it applies to Sweden and Finland, um, who have recently indicated that while they're not ready to apply tomorrow, they're worried about their security when they see what the Russians are doing. When they see that the, the Russians are threatening for the first time since World War II to invade our neighbor and grab territory. Actually, they did it in 2014. But now they're talking about doing it on a, lar on a large scale, the largest land war in Europe since, since World War II. And the Finns and the Swedes are worried about it as well. So they should have the right to apply to NATO, as should Ukraine. It's a, it's a sovereign right. The Finland, Sweden, Ukraine, they're sovereign countries. They get to decide. So I don't think there's a finesse there. You're right. And the, and the Ukrainians know um, that they're not going to get into to NATO tomorrow. They know that. NATO knows that. Russia knows that. Putin knows that. So why he's threatening to have thousands of Russian troops killed and tens of thousands of Ukrainians die on the principle, on the reason, on the demand to change something that's not even going to happen immediately. He's going to kill a lot of people because he's worried that sometime in the future Ukraine's going to join NATO. This is crazy. This is, this is the, the war crime I was talking about. So I don't think there's a finesse there. Um, I think that, uh, that, that uh, Zelensky and Biden have not blinked um, on that issue or the other issues, issues as well. And that there are ways that Russia can improve its security by sitting down and negotiating. And that's the way to go. Let me ask you what you think the consequences would be for Russia if Putin surges across that border, invades Ukraine, faces a hostile country, uh, the caskets go home to Moscow, uh, sanctions that really do cripple the Russian economy are put in place. Do you think that it's likely that history will look back at, at this and judge that Putin badly overplayed his hand, that to use a very familiar analogy, that this was a mistake like what most people would say the United States made in invading Iraq in 2003. How, how do you think uh, history is likely to judge what Putin is doing now? I think history will not be kind to Putin at all. And I think, you know, the historians will look back and they will look at other dictators um, who caused the deaths of hundreds of thousands, millions of people in the previous century. We can think of those dictators' names. Um, they lost in the end. President Putin will go into that category of dictator and that category of historical figure who failed and who, as, as failing, was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of thousands, even millions of people. Um, this would be a, a, a tragedy. This would be a tragedy. It'd be a tragedy 
for Putin. Who cares about a tragedy for Putin? It'd be a tragedy for Russia. It'd be a tragedy for Europe. Uh, and all of that cost, David, that you just described well, um, is the reason he shouldn't do that. Is the reason he should decide that the costs are just not worth the benefit uh, on that. And the one of the things that you said, I think, which bears bears emphasizing. When Russian soldiers come back to Russian villages and are buried in Russian graveyards and, are, and, and cause mourning and anger on the part of Russian families, that could destabilize Russia. That could, that, could, that could bring people to the streets. That could bring people to the Maidans across Russia. That, that could challenge Mr. Putin's regime. It's not a, it's not a, a strong, it's a fragile regime. Um, he's been there a long time. People are Russians are not happy with him, um, and getting less happy with him um, by by the day. And they they have a pretty Russians by and large have a pretty good attitude about Ukrainians, and they're going to ask themselves, why exactly are we invading, killing Ukrainians, and and at the same time having our sons and daughters coming back dead? Why why are we doing this? I think. He has. He he will be in jeopardy politically. He'll be in jeopardy from historical standpoint. Um, Russian economy will be hammered. I don't see how he comes out of this at all. This this is this is a tragedy uh, for Russia. Mr. Ambassador, we have come to the end of the time that we set. Um, this has been an extraordinary uh, examination of the crisis that's just uh, ahead of us. Uh, by one of America's most knowledgeable experts on, on Ukraine and Russia. I just want to thank Ambassador Taylor for joining us for this discussion this morning. Uh, let's hope that the, the worst of the possibilities that he described so clearly don't happen. Ambassador Taylor, thanks for being with us. David, thank you very much for letting me be here. So please uh, join uh, Washington Post uh, live for future programming. Uh, as this crisis goes forward, we'll be doing our best to, to keep you informed about it. Uh, go to WashingtonPostLive.com to see all of the amazing programming that uh, we're putting together. Uh, thanks for joining us this morning for this discussion of the Ukraine crisis. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.